the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, we just wrapped up Conference USA Media Days in Texas this week. Uh, our guys, uh, Steve Helwick and Eric Henry, were on the ground covering all the good stuff there for you. Um, if you head over to UDD.com, if you're not already there at this very moment, uh, you can check out their recaps from the East and the West, respectively. Uh, check out everything that coaches said. But today, we're definitely going to go over some of the highlights from those conferences and uh, play some of our, our best sound bites for you uh, before uh, before we get uh, get into the weekend as we record this. It's uh, 3 o'clock on a Friday, and um, at least where I am. And um, Eric, I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I'm having a beer as we record because uh, it's been that kind of week. But I understand you... I understand you had some trouble getting home from Texas. Doing okay, buddy? I'm doing a-okay, man. I mean, it's all good. It's all water under the bridge now that I am back home. But yeah, you know, the uh, friendly skies, as they call them, could be a little bit rough. Getting in and out of DFW was a bit of a challenge. I flew out of Orlando. It was about an hour delay to get from Orlando to DFW. And then getting back home, unfortunately, was a uh, four-and-a-half-hour delay. So that was a little rough. But apparently, I wasn't the only one. Our friend Evan Dudley, who came on the podcast before, he was stuck at DFW till about 1.30 in the morning for the first day on Wednesday, along with Bill Clark and the UAB contingency. And then trying to get back home as well, uh, I was told that Will Healy and the Charlotte contingency of Benny LeMay and Alex Highsmith also had some trouble getting back home. So uh, it seemed to be an issue just like a weather pattern in a certain area. Apparently the FIU crew didn't have much of an issue, and I haven't heard of any other teams, but... Uh, it, it was an eventful, eventful travel, you know, week, midweek deal. So uh, nobody likes being stuck in airports. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we can all agree on that. But hey, all's well that ends well. For sure. Just uh, air travel in the summers always seems to be sort of a crapshoot with, with weather patterns, like you mentioned, and lightning storms and all that. And that's, that's never fun. But glad you got home okay. Um, speaking of FIU, uh, we can go ahead and talk about them first. Um, some good stuff from Butch Davis at uh, CUSA Media Day at uh, at the Star in Frisco. There, um, first thing was he, he talked about James Morgan being the best QB he's ever coached. Uh, could potentially be uh, an early round draft pick in the in the upcoming NFL draft. Here, um, Eric. First of all, um, do you agree with that sentiment? You know what? At first, on that on its surface, that statement seems a little outlandish. But then you would go back and you look at the quarterbacks who he's actually coached, and this isn't a slight at the QBs who he's coached in terms of their skill, because they were good college quarterbacks. Well, you go on the list: Ken Dorsey, obviously the most notable name, uh, national champion, guy who goes on to play uh, with the Cleveland Browns, a couple of teams, San Francisco, et cetera. Um, outside of that, you're talking about guys like Scott Covington. Uh, you got to really dig back into your college football memory there. He was quarterback in Miami in 1998, the seventh-round draft pick of the Bengals. Uh, Kenny Kelly, who actually works for FIU now as the color guy on the radio and TV broadcast. Then you're going into the, the T.J. Yates of the world, who I believe is still around, uh, North Carolina guy, was with Houston for a while. So in terms of NFL success, he hasn't had that home run guy per se, but he has had talented college guys. So to answer your question, yeah, I do believe that J-Mo does have the talent to to be that guy. And as a matter of fact, it just once again racking my brain here, I believe T.J. Yates was a fifth-round pick. So if James Morgan can live up to his uh, – Butch Davis's his prediction that he could be a third or fourth-round pick, 
yes, it would be the highest drafted Butch Davis quarterback in his entire coaching career, which seems hard to believe. But yeah, I, I could buy that. It's definitely going to be between uh, him and Mason Fine as we talk about the um, Conference USA quarterbacks who are, have the potential to get drafted in this upcoming year. Um, Eric, you were on the ground. You were able to record what Butch Davis said exactly. Let's uh, let's take a listen to that real quick. I had uh, two quarterbacks at Miami, Kenny Dorsey and Scott Covington, that made it to the NFL. Uh, you know, T.J. Yates of North Carolina. We had some other guys at Miami. We had a lot of them. Really, really good quarterbacks. He's outstanding. He's super smart, unbelievably competitive. He, his work ethic is outstanding. Uh, he's got he's got the arm that he can absolutely there's not a throw on the field that he can't make. Um yeah, so there's there you have it. That's what uh, Butch Davis had to say about his quarterback. Um another interesting bite from coach out of uh out of his availability this week was uh, he seems to think that uh, older coaches are being overlooked in college football in favor of uh, some of the younger guys. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, that's something that I've always kind of wanted to talk to Butch about. And I found it interesting because, and this is just my own personal perspective here, you get so caught up in the idea of age and the hot, young, trendy coach. Think about it, right? You look at the NFL, you've got guys like Sean McVay or, you know, um, Cliff Kingsbury who's a younger guy. And that same trend is there in college. I mean, look at Will Healy here at Charlotte. Uh, not to say that Coach Healy isn't deserving of the job, but he's 34 years old. And you just wonder what that perspective is like from the guy like a Butch Davis who's been around this game for 40, 45 years and is 67 now. And what really triggered my interest in that question was the hiring of Mac Brown at North Carolina, who I believe is the same age as Butch. If my memory serves me correct, I want to say he's 66 or 67. I just was curious Coach's thoughts. And he had a a really strong opinion and it, it was actually something kind of refreshing to hear because being around butch on a you know a, a weekly basis you don't see that quote unquote you know old man mentality i mean i think it's subjective joe some coaches may be older and maybe figureheads i mean growing up down here in, in, in florida you kind of remember the later years of bobby bowden who you know coach bowden had the headset on the sidelines but didn't necessarily seem like you know he was a uh, you know going for going through all the play calls and whatnot you know he to just you know be there kind of that figurehead guy but coach davis is not that guy at all i mean he's as energetic and as enthusiastic as ever about being around this fiu program and just coaching college football and i think part of that may have to have to do with how things ended at north carolina and having to spend a couple years on the sideline no pun intended at espn but he's really enthusiastic and energetic and he had some really strong thoughts uh, about maybe some programs overlooking uh, older coaches. I have to ask, was all this conversation spurred by the uh, face app challenge that's going on on Instagram right now? <laughs> you caught me as I'm taking a sip of water, but that, that's a, and it was not spurred by that. <laughs> um, C Coach Davis is a lot of things and, and energetic is one of them, but uh, being the most technologically savvy guy is, is I shouldn't say he's not tech savvy. Coach is just old school. Uh, if, so I don't think he uh, is using the, uh, the face app or uh, social media of any kind for that, uh, for, for that matter. Sure, sure. Um, it, <laughs> I did think that was kind of an interesting coincidence that we're having this conversation at the same time. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think he's got somewhat of a point. I think it, largely younger coaches are definitely a hot commodity in terms of recruiting right now. Um, a lot of these high caliber recruits definitely want to play for someone who 
you know, at least on the surface would understand the, you know, quote unquote, millennial culture, Gen Z culture, whatever you want to call it. And um, certainly easier to do that with someone who's closer to that age group. Um, but, you know, I think for what it's worth, I think uh, a lot of the older guys in college football, like uh, like Coach Davis, are, are doing a good job and, you know, um, not and they're doing a good job of not really letting that perception really uh, toy with how they do their job too much because it, Butch, I think, is doing as good a job as anybody of getting, you know, high level recruits right now. Would you agree with that? <laughs> no, absolutely. And I'm just going to ask you this question really quickly because this was the the really the the money quote that Butch uh, um, said mm-hmm. is that, you know, I've got 30 plus years of relating to 18 year olds. And this would just to turn the question back on you. I think the point he's making is that I mean, think about it, right? You know, you stop, quote unquote, being relatable to 18 year olds once you're like 25. So, I mean, that's kind of like us. Um, so I think having 30 plus years of trying to find that that way, that that linchpin between yourself as someone who may be viewed as a superior. I mean, Joe, when I was at, you know, when I go to press conferences or was at this uh, media days event, I've got James Morgan, who's 22, 23 years old, calling me, sir. And I'm, I'm only four years older than him. So, you know, you're going to have that generational gap regardless. Um, so the, the question I have for you is essentially he has 30 years of practice of of knowing somehow some way to relate to kids. Is that not fair? No, that's definitely fair. I mean, it's not like we really thought he was going into kid kids' houses and trying to recruit them with promises of like the best stock hops in the nation of, or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like, right. Um, but yeah, I do think it's interesting. You said too, that like you stop really relating to 18 year olds when you're 25 in most cases. Like I definitely, you know, I don't know what high school kids are into right now and I'm only 26. So I, I definitely think you have an interesting point there, but yeah, I, I think the more things change, the more they stay the same in regards to, you know, a lot of these things. I think it just, the, as the technology changes, you have to be able to keep up with like the mediums of communication and not necessarily like not the communication itself as much, but you, you brought up him not being the most tech savvy guy in the world. And that hurts a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, he, he is who he is. So I think that in and of itself is a pretty decent recruiting tool. Um, not to beat that into the ground too much, have a lot more to go through here before we, uh, before we wrap up the show, we've only done one team, obviously. Um, this is something that, uh, I wanted to make mention of, uh, Marshall head coach, doc holiday, um, talking about the transfer protocols as they stand right now in the NCAA. Let's, uh, let's take a listen to that real quick. I'm, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's, I think the greatest thing that this game teaches you is, is overcome adversity and fight through things. And, and, you know, and I think to give these kids an easy way out, I'm not sure it's good for the kids. You know, and there are certain situations that, you know, and, but that being said, we're going to take advantage of it. Sure. I mean, we have to. So, you know, we've gotten, I think we've, we lost a couple of grad transfers and picked up four. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a good thing. I'm anxious to see how it shakes out after one year. You know, there's only, there's only 10% of the people in the transfer pool end up in scholarships. So I think, you know, a lot of these kids are going to that portal. And I think at the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of kids that gave up scholarships going to that portal that are going up to nothing. And these kids right now, are they all, they all think they're all going to get scholarships. And they all think they're going to get immediately eligible. 
you know. So I think after this thing shakes out for a year, hopefully it slows down a little bit. And, uh, but again, I just worry about the message we're sending these young kids today because the greatest thing this game teaches you is to overcome adversity. Um, yeah, so that's Doc Holliday from Marshall talking about uh, how he's generally not in favor of uh, players transferring and using it as a way to get out of tough circumstances, which is strange because a few people pointed this out on Twitter after he said that, but the one that I kind of latched onto was um, by friend of the site, uh, Yavi Cardenas. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. We've never actually met in person, but enjoy your stuff. Um, From the Rivals Network talking about how Marshall actually has transfers from FIU, West Virginia, and Kentucky coming in this season. And uh, obviously some blatant hypocrisy there coming out of uh, Coach Holiday's mouth. And, you know, I, I thought I'd have a little more to say about this when uh, when I texted you or tweeted at you about it last night, Eric. But I'm, I'm a little tired. And all I'll say about that topic is it, it blows my mind that some of uh, not just football coaches, but just people in this world lack self-awareness to that degree when you're basically trashing you trashing a rule that you are taking full advantage of and you blatantly don't have like a proper understanding of why this rule exists in the first place so that's that's what i found particularly frustrating about that soundbite from coach holiday so here's the first thing i want to do and obviously you heard in the soundbite i just want to read it again for emphasis uh, just in case, you know, you might have missed it in, in the soundbite or, or, you know, you're driving your car, you didn't have to catch it. Um, I'm just going to read this from Doc Holliday. I don't like it. I think the greatest thing that this game teaches you is how to overcome adversity and fight through things. I think to give these kids an easy way out isn't what's best. There are situations. There are certain situations. But that being said, we're going to take advantage of it. And I want to stop right there because that's the point. Uh, Doc Holliday did say, you know, we're going to take advantage of it. We, we lost two and we gained four. But he finished up, as you heard in the bite. Um, but uh, overall, I'm still not a fan. I'm anxious to see how it shakes out after a few years because only 10% of these kids are landing somewhere and getting scholarships. It's interesting. You said to lack self-awareness, and I don't disagree with you. I guess maybe I owe this to Coach Holiday as the person who was there and hearing the tenor and the tone in his voice. He was very firm, and, and it's the reason why I published it. He was very firm in stating that he doesn't like it. And he didn't, didn't only not – excuse me. He, he, I wasn't the only person he said this to. He said this to various publications. You can check out At The Roost, who covers Rice. Uh, he said it to them as well. So uh, he was very firm in that. However, he did acknowledge that, you know, hey, I, I don't like it, but it's the, it's the rule, so we're not going to be – you know, we're not going to bury our head in the sand and not – uh, pick up guys from the transfer portal. So if you want to criticize Coach Holiday for a level of hypocrisy there, I do think that's fair. Um, but he he also said, you know, there are situations. Unfortunately, he kind of stopped right there. He said there are situations, and I don't know if he's referring to maybe, you know, um, family situations or not, because he kind of stopped his quote, as you heard in the, uh, in the bite there. Um, but overall, I, I just found it interesting. I think – I would love to – and maybe we can get, you know, Grant Trailer who covers uh, the herd – for the Huntington, I believe it's the the Dispatch Herald, I believe. Hopefully I'm getting that publication correctly. Hopefully we can get him on to maybe further on that because the reason I bring up the tenor and the tone of his voice, I feel like he, the major – I feel like there was two reasons why he was opposed to this. One, because coaches put in a lot of work to recruit players, and it's, you know, a, a kick in the you-know-where when they just leave. I, I think 
it's an ego bruise from one, and I think that's part of it. But I also do think there was some genuine concern on his part in terms of the last part of that quote, which is only 10%. And I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. So I can't validate whether that 10% number is correct. However, it has been shown that, put to you this way, not all the players who are entering the transfer portal are landing scholarships elsewhere. Um, So it did sound as if that might be part of his concern. But overall, I don't blame you or anyone else who takes issue with the quote in terms of it being somewhat hypocritical, especially since he has made use of the transfer portal. But I, I just wanted to provide that background and that it, it, there's a, to give it a little more, uh, a little more color, a little more context. But overall, like I said, I, I don't blame anyone for, for feeling that Coach Holiday was being hypocritical, especially since they're taking advantage of the rule. Sure. And that's kind of my main point. Like I'm not, I'm not criticizing Holiday as a, coach or a person for that matter i just think when you're criticizing these rules i think you have to i think you have to have a a, a slightly more self-awareness in the fact that said rule is making your team better and b i don't know i think it's it's definitely been a few decades since uh coach holiday's been you know a college student and just the landscape's a lot different and not to get too much into it because this is a whole different conversation, but uh, yeah, it's not the same world where you can commit to a place that in a lot of cases is really far away from, you know, your home and all this other stuff. And then if it's clearly not going to work out, of course don't stay in that situation. That's crazy. Um, so it, the quote comes off as he's encouraging staying in a, in situations that are potentially unhealthy in some in some cases, and that's that's frustrating. But you know you are right in that he acknowledges that there's certain situations. But I think in the, in the context, it was it was a little frustrating to hear as as someone who um, transferred an undergrad and, and definitely uh, benefited from it. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So that's kind of that, not to harp on Coach Holiday too much. Um, we'll move on then to talking about the uh, Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders. And uh, Coach Rick Stockstill, I uh, understand he had some thoughts, uh, A, on the departure of his uh, son, who played his last season of eligibility last year, uh, and frankly how hard their schedule is at the, uh, at the beginning of this season. So uh, what did Coach Stockstill have to say, Eric? Yeah, you know, it, it was really interesting to hear. First off, this is my first time meeting Rick Stockstill in person. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm gushing over the guy by any stretch of imagination, but he's just just a cool customer. Um, that's the first thing, you know, he's just very laid back. You know, he's there, you know, I, I couldn't tell if they were Jays, but I, he definitely had some Nikes on. Uh, but it's a cool customer overall. So that's my first observation. But um, yeah, his comments about Brent, he was asked, and I believe it was Corey Diaz, who covers Louisiana Tech, asked the question, uh, if it was emotional not seeing Brent there because Coach Stockstill was saying that uh, all of the quarterbacks and all the players in the offensive meetings had to sit in the same seats when they come in. And then, 
you know, for that first meeting, it, it was weird not seeing Brent there. And coach said that it wasn't emotional, but it was different because, and this is what I think it's interesting from the standpoint of him being his father and his coach. What he said is that with Brent, you always knew what you're going to get every single day. It's a consistent work hard, you know, be that first guy in last guy out mentality. And that was different for him because with the other players and I, I, the rest of this, I am, I'm kind of assuming that's where he was going is that with the other players uh, now filling that spot, you know, it, it's an adjustment process. So uh, I found that quote to be very interesting. And then, yeah, man, I mean, they've got a heck of a schedule when you start out three of their first four games are against uh, power five teams, power five uh, programs. So when you talk about that, I mean, it's really going to be as far as their quarterback situation. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because maybe you don't want to put Randall Johnson uh, immediately, you know, throw him to the wolves. I mean, let's, let's look at it. They start out at Michigan. Uh, they, then they get a break uh, play against middle Tennessee. Excuse me. They play Tennessee state. Uh, then they play Duke. They welcome Duke. Uh, to to uh, Middle Tennessee, and then they go to Iowa, and then they get into conference play, going to Marshall, FAU, and then North Texas, and then FIU. I'm just looking at the whole schedule while I'm at it. So you know this thing doesn't let up for them. So uh, that was something that he harped on and said, hey, you know, unlike you know maybe some NFL teams who get a preseason game or two to kind of warm up, or a lot of teams who you know may take an FCS opponent to to start the season and then maybe a, another um, softer game. Yeah, they're getting right into it, so they got to be ready to go, hit the ground running. All solid points by uh, Coach Stockstill and yourself, Eric. But uh, before we move on to talking about the Charlotte 49ers, is that who you think is going to start for uh, Middle Tennessee State at quarterback this year and not uh, not Asher O'Hara come week one? No, no. I, I absolutely believe that Asher O'Hara will be the starter. I mean, just from Coach Stockstill's comments, and he didn't lead one way or the other. He said that, hey, you know, I'm not going to name a guy just to name a guy. But we have every reason to believe that Asher will be the starter. And our friend Luis Torres, the mm -hmm. former, now former beat writer for uh, Middle Tennessee State, he's moved on to cover the MLS. Uh, Joe Spears is actually the beat writer now. But when Luis came on, did say as well that Asher O'Hara should be the guy. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the impression that I got too from from Louise and just from following this program in general. Um, now for the uh, the Charlotte 49ers, uh, Certainly seems like from from talking to you, Eric, they they made a positive impression on you and uh, reason to be, and as you've been saying, plenty of reason to be optimistic about their upcoming season. Uh, tell me about what you mean when you say that Will Healy uh, was talking about making Charlotte cool. Yeah, Joe. I mean, first thing first. I mean, Will Healy just radiates energy, and I noted that in the article that he's a guy who you get around him. And it's hard not to like him. I mean, uh, I'll give you this this anecdote. I saved it for a pot for the podcast. Um, it was Bobby Wilder who kind of ran up behind Coach Healy and jokingly said, "Hey, you know, guys, I don't know if you guys uh, know this nugget, but Coach Healy apparently is the only uh, conference USA coach who could still play." And I guess that's an inside joke from maybe during the uh, the coach's dinner where uh, Will Healy uh, apparently it, it was said amongst what's one of the uh, coaches mentioned that, oh, yeah, Healy said that he's the only guy who can still uh, get out there and play. So that was funny. But just to talk about the energy he, he mentioned and making Charlotte cool. One of the things he said is that and I think it's a fair recruiting pitch. He said that at Charlotte, the program's only been around for a handful of years. So it's not like if you want to be, you know, the five-star recruit who's the next All-American uh, at Oklahoma or, you know, the next All-American running back at USC or the next, 
you know, quarterback from quarterback you, that's fine, but you're not going to choose us. So what I want to do is go after the guys and say, hey, look, you can be the face of Charlotte football. You can rewrite all the record books. Uh, to further that point, Benny LeMay, the game I was in Charlotte last year, uh, the, the press box announcer mentioned four times that Benny LeMay broke a program record because the program has only been around for so many years. Mm-hmm. So, you can, hey, if you want to be the face of this program, come here. You can be the guy who's plastered on the walls uh, in four years once you break all the records if you're a four-year starter. So come to Charlotte. And he said, you know, it's not cool to come to Charlotte yet, but we're getting there. And we're going to make this thing happen. And the players also noted that, you know, Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay talked about just his energy. Uh, Highsmith mentioned that when the guys get a turnover, uh, they have like a little dunk bucket where, you know, he wants guys sprinting off the field uh, to the sideline and dunking the ball, you know, and having fun. And I, I'm not saying that to say that's going to be the new turnover chain. Like that's going to make an appearance during the season. It's just a way to promote energy. And Benny LeMay has said that, you know, the, the music is blaring during practice and, and they love that. So, uh, his overall deal is just he, he wants to make Charlotte, you know, a, a cool, you know, at first, I think that's a great approach, uh, Joe, is that you can't necessarily control whether you're going to win games or lose games, but make football fun. And that should be uh, a, a decent recruiting approach to get kids to come to your program. For sure. And let's uh, let's take a listen to that full quote from Coach Healy here. Um, you know, it, the reception's been awesome. Uh, high school coaches, high school players, you're still not cool right now. You know, um, there's still places that have more tradition and it's not as much of a chance, you know. Uh, whereas if they pick us, they're, they're taking a chance on us. And we have to have a guy on campus enough where they believe in us and our culture enough that they believe we'll have success. So it takes a different type of temperament. You know, the guy who's a really good player and wants to go to a place that's won bowl games and conference championships is not picking Charlotte right now. Uh, we're going to get there, but we're not there right now. Seems like he's uh, he's got his hand on the steering wheel pretty pretty firmly. Uh, excited to see what he can do with that program. Um, and uh, one last thing with Charlotte, uh, Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay were present uh, for the 49ers as well. Um, seems like from what they had to say, they, they kind of took issue with how um, what people like uh, like me think of uh, think of their potential for the upcoming year. Um, you know, w- what was your kind of impression of the two Charlotte players at, at Media Days, Eric? First off, uh, just my first impression. And I mean, Benny LeMay is a heck of a running back, but uh, Benny is listed at five nine two fifteen. Uh, Benny's not five nine because <laughs> I'm I'm about an inch and a half taller than Benny. But that aside. Um, just great kid, you know, great talker, um, really confident in his game. You can tell how passionate he is about the program because he, he kind of said, you know, talking about uh, getting that statement win, you know, you can tell he really believes it and he's really bought in. Uh, Alex Highsmith, another guy who uh, when former Charlotte defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer was brought up, I happened to mention his name because his father, uh, Alex's father, uh, DM'd me and said, hey, could you pass the message along to Coach Spencer? Uh, that, you know, he's really changed my son's life. And I I think he thought that I was the FAU guy, so I had to correct him there. But when I brought it up to Alex, uh, you know, his face really lit up. And you're talking about a kid who is, you know, 6'2", 6'3", about 260 pounds, and is a very soft-spoken kid. You could barely hear him. I had to push my recorder up up to uh, his body to pick up the words. But his face lit up when he talked about Glenn Spencer and the impact that he had on his life and, and just kind of helping develop him as a player. And he's really carried over that confidence with the new coaching staff. And he feels like he can make an impact. And Alex went out of his way to say that they felt that that ranking of seventh was disrespectful by the media. So uh, they're excited and they're fired up about this season. It'll be interesting to see what they can do in 2019. 
Yeah, understandable based on, uh, you know, the way they exceeded expectations last year. Um, but uh, only time will tell, I suppose. Um, now moving on to the FAU Owls. Um, Eric, I understand you spent quite a bit of time listening to what uh, Coach Kiffin had to say. And um, how did he kind of come off to you? <laughs> the best way I can sum it up, and I said this on Twitter, is perception versus reality. And this is something that we can get into on a later podcast. But, you know, Joe, I mean, we've talked about this on prior podcasts. The perception of Lane Kiffin, and we talked about his whether he will or won't stay at FAU, the perception is that he's this, you know, showboat, um, uh, media attention guy. You know, he loves to promote himself, and you see him, you know, wearing the, the loud suits and things of that nature. Joe, I promise you, he talked at a volume that was a whisper. Uh, you, this is not the Lane Kiffin that you, you may have, you know, been built up by uh, certain, maybe his previous stop to think that he's that guy. He really comes off as a guy who's just happy where he's at. He seems, Joe, honestly, like if he can just get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, uh, go coach football, you know, maybe enjoy an adult beverage in the evening and, <laughs> and do it all again. Uh, that would be his ideal life, you know, just down there on the water. Um, he just seems like he's just enjoying the slower pace of life, not being recognized. Um, he came in, we actually, or, or I shouldn't say we, I saw when he walked down the steps about 830 uh, to make his way down and, and didn't sit down immediately to the table with the, the other uh, representatives, kind of, you know, went and grabbed a cup of coffee, you know, talked for a little bit uh, with some of the uh, CUSA staff, but just not that flamboyant, loud personality that you may have been built up to believe that he is. Uh, and, and that was interesting. From the very little that I, that I was able to catch live, it, it, it still seems like he's not super comfortable talking into microphones or on camera. Was that fair to say? I didn't catch his ESPN portion, but see, I'm not around him enough to say if he's comfortable or not. I just think, excuse me for the long pauses here, guys. I just think that it's not, it's not necessarily that he's antagonistic towards the media. I just, like I said, I think he just wants to get up and coach football. Mm -hmm. I think if he could live without the, the media interaction, he, he would be fine. And, it, but he wasn't, you know, antagonistic towards us. He just is very, I think it's safe to say it's not his favorite thing in the world, but he doesn't hate it either. And I wouldn't say he's not comfortable. He's just a very low-key kind of under-the-radar kind of guy, which, once again, is different from what you've been led to believe that he is. Yeah, no, I certainly didn't mean to imply that he was antagonistic. I just meant um, typically he speaks very, very softly, is very kind of to the point in his answers, doesn't really uh, try to like give these long-winded podcaster, radio announcer-type answers that, uh, that we cool. – sometimes but um yeah uh no that that was kind of more of what i meant by that but um okay. yeah it, it kind of seems like that's uh still the case with him um so i think with uh with that we can talk about uh the old dominion monarchs um so one of the things that you mentioned to me was uh bobby wilder was a little preoccupied in his uh in talking to the media while he, while you were there no, yeah, I, I think we caught Coach Wilder during his lunch uh, session. Uh, lunch with there was was barbecue, of course. It's Texas, so you know, got to have a little Rudy's barbecue, and it was very tasty. Don't get me wrong, 
Um, but I think uh, uh, maybe they didn't have breakfast in the morning because uh, Coach Wilder, you know, he, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm a little hungry, so I'm going to grab some of this barbecue and, uh, and uh, uh, we can uh, do our, our session while I'm uh, chowing down some barbecue. And I don't blame him because, like I said, the barbecue is pretty darn good. So I, I don't blame him for uh, not wanting to step away from Rudy's. Nice. Uh, what did Coach Wilder have to say about his, uh, his team's improvement in the offseason here? It was interesting, Joe. Uh, one of the things he said was that as far as the quarterback situation, like Coach, um, like Coach Stockfield at Middle Tennessee State, he's not going to name one just to name one. And he even said that this thing could go on into the season where we're going to find out who's right and we're going to play multiple quarterbacks until we get it right. Another thing that I want to credit Ed Miller for, because he's the one who picked this up. Um, Ed Miller is, is the, the beat writer, I uh, believe for the Virginia pilot, uh, if my memory serves me correct. However, um, he said that Stevie Williams uh, could, or that, that Coach Wilder said that Stevie Williams could see some time at receiver, which I, Lord knows if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me gush over Stevie Williams uh, enough. I'm just shocking that he went from, you know, being a, a 16, 17-year-old, quarterback phenom to now potentially playing receiver. So there's that. But he did also say that, uh, like I said, that quarterback situation could could drag on into the season. And then he also mentioned when asked uh, by our own Steve Helwick, who was the player who improved the most over the offseason? He paused, said that's a really good question. You have to think about it. And then went with his son, Derek Wilder, who they moved from linebacker to defensive end and talked about how, you know, he, he's just crushing the weight room, squatting over 500 pounds and put on uh, over 20 pounds of muscle. So I thought that was an interesting answer as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, excited to see what Derek can do in the offseason. And in terms of improvement, based on what they were able to do last season, it seems like most of the team needs uh, improvement. So if you only uh, – only about like a, what a month left until the season. Gosh, time really flew by. Um, thought we'd uh, thought I would have been a little more productive in the off season, but oh well. I speaking of needing improvement, me as a writer. Anyway, um, but uh, before we move on to uh, talking about Conference USA West, um, anything stick out about the uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers and Coach Tyson Helton from CUSA Media Days? I know they're the one team from that division we haven't really talked about yet. Yeah, you know, not too much really stood out. Uh, you know, Devin Key was there and uh, very uh, very talented safety for the tops. But uh, the, the major thing that Coach Helton was really kind of harping on was the fact that uh, he really wants to re- reinvigorate the fan base and the, the players. He doesn't believe that the talent is that far off from their winning seasons when he was there prior. And that mostly he thinks that there will be some errors and a trial by fire, um, but he comes from a coaching family. So he really believes that he just wants to kind of, you know, steady the program, get things back on the, on, on the right track, keep things from slipping. And that because of his family pedigree, that he'll be able to uh, lean on them for advice. Uh, he also mentioned Jeff Brom as well, that he hasn't been c- talking to coach Brom, who we all know was at Western Kentucky before. Um, he hasn't talked to much in the off season, but during the season, they'll, they'll trade football notes and that'll be another uh, uh, source of, of, you know, someone he can go to. Um, but yeah, those are really the main things that really came out of Tyson Helton and his media availability. Interesting. Definitely curious to see how this goes. Definitely think uh, Helton has the ability to kind of lead that program in a really solid direction. It's just going to be a matter of, of execution. Um, so that's it for the CUSA East recap. We'll go ahead and move on to the uh, Conference USA West teams now. Um, real quick, 
our our correspondent on the ground there was uh, Steve Helwick, who recently joined the site. Super to have you, super happy to have him on. Um, not able to have him on the show today, unfortunately. But if you want to see his complete recap of uh, what happened on uh, the availability periods for the CUSA West teams. Just go ahead and check out that article on UDD. I'll go ahead and link it in the body of the post for this podcast on the website so you can take a look. Um, But for you, Eric, and kind of examining, A, being there yourself and uh, talking to Steve and and reading his coverage, what really sticks out to you about the West and uh, the teams in contention for that title? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that really stood out was just uh, Seth Luttrell, his presence there. Uh, at Media Day was just something that, you know, kind of, once again, having not met him in person, uh, he can be, I, I think I describe him this way to you, you know, uh, off air, that he kind of reminds you of the coach from Varsity Blues, except 50 years younger and uh, definitely in shape. I mean, Seth Luttrell is, is a football coach's coach, just, you know, uh, very stern and to the point, um, just all about football. But Mason Fine also, I mean, I, I caught this uh, on, on the flight there because when the, when, excuse me, when North Texas was at the ESPN portion, I was just getting into Dallas before I could make it over to the star. And Mason Fine spoke for his just really uh, affection for Coach Luttrell and really making him the quarterback he is. So his players definitely have a strong uh, admiration for him. But the main thing I said, and I think we have a bite here that we'll go to, is uh, just Coach, Coach Luttrell's just presence and, and, and the way his team really respects him. And, and because of that respect, They'll just, you know, to use the old uh, uh, proverbial phrase, they'll run through a wall to play uh, play for him and make things happen. Absolutely. And uh, that, that Friday Night Lights comparison is just spot on. He looks exactly like the guy. We'll go ahead and play that uh, that bite from UNT quarterback Mason Fine here. That's when I first got here, I was scared of the man. I'm not going to lie. He's intimidating. I mean, come on. He's, you know, a pretty big dude. Works out uh, the way he is, personality-wise. You know, he's he's quiet, but when he says something, he has you know fear, you know fierceness in his voice. But you know, over the years, we've uh, you know we've grown through adversity, grown through you know off-season times. Uh, look at the guy as a father figure now. So he came in, scared of the dude, but now I'm not afraid to go to that dude with any situation I have. Uh, high or low, a tough problem. I know he's going to be there for me, and he's going to give me the best advice, and I know he's going to, no matter what, he's going to have my back. So there you have it. That's a preseason offensive player of the year, Mason Fine, talking about his head coach. Uh, like I mentioned, just a really apt comparison to uh, to the guy from TV. And I think Latrell, just based on the way he carries himself and from the fact that, he, frankly, he's very photogenic, Like I think he has a TV career ahead of him when he eventually hangs up the coaching headset. I'd have to agree with you there. <laughs> um, the other team that uh, could potentially give North Texas a run for their money in the West, in my opinion, is uh, Louisiana Tech. Um, Skip Holtz really seems optimistic or at least excited about the idea of playing uh, Texas this year um, and reasonable to think so. Always good to get your program that kind of good uh, coverage when you play that high level of a team. Um, but from your experience, Eric, what about them really um, you know, stood out to you one way or another in terms of uh, how prepared they are for the upcoming season? Joe, they are very excited about their chances in 2019. I think it starts with the guy, uh, Jamar Smith, and you got to go to Adrian Hardy. But someone who coached really 
was was very complimentary of was Willie Baker in the sense that uh, people may only know this Louisiana Tech team because of Sack Daddy, Jalen Ferguson, who now resides in Baltimore. And he wants everyone to know that, hey, I know we lost a guy, but we got a pretty good guy behind him in Willie Baker. So it was very complimentary of him. And just outside of that, they were really happy and really excited, as you mentioned, about the idea of playing a Texas team because Coach Holtz really mentioned that to kind of set that that atmosphere and that that set the tone for your season when you can play against a big team, he thinks it does more good than harm. Yeah, definitely good reason to think so. Anytime a G5 can kind of grow their profile by playing in that kind of game and playing well, uh, first and foremost, that that definitely helps. Um, so excited to see what the Bulldogs can make of that opportunity here. And uh, next on the list, we'll talk about the Rice Owls. Obviously, some much-needed improvement after a 2-11 season in uh, 2018. Some uncertainty about what's going on with the quarterback position battle, but uh, second-year head coach Mike Bloomkin really doesn't seem that concerned based on uh, how he came off in those press conferences. What do you think? Joe, he really kind of stole the show as far as the West goes. Um, Coach Bloomgren was really well-received as far as just – People unanimously, unanimously, I get that word out correctly, believing that he's the right guy at Rice, that he has the right, you know, kind of makeup to to recruit Houston, to recruit Texas. And, you know, you and I have talked about some of the challenges at Rice as far as it being a highly uh, academic school and some of the standards there. And he, he's just really all in. And, you know, when you talk about his quarterback situation, he believes Depth is the key. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, a guy may not play the entire season, so you want to have two or three QBs on the roster who can get the job done. But he really feels that with the system that he's brought over from Stanford, no matter who it is who's starting for them, they're going to be in good in good shape, in a good place. So uh, Coach Bloomgren just, you know, really kind of set, set a good impression and was really um, excited about getting into the year, and he thinks that he's got things going in the right direction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, reason to think so. Uh, I think everybody kind of thought when Bloomgren took the job that it was a good hire and no one expected an immediate turnaround. So seems like he's taking steps in the right direction on on every level in terms of uh, being a good ambassador for the program and uh, getting them to improve their play. But well, I guess we'll we'll get more proof of that in the upcoming season here. Um, Next, we'll talk about the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Um, there's definitely some kind of division amongst, uh, fans and pundits of CUSA West. Some people think they have a legit shot to contend for that divisional title. Some people aren't as impressed. Uh, but one thing's certain, it seems like Jay Hobson is really high on Jack Abraham. And, uh, that's interesting considering, I think there's a couple different guys in that quarterback room that could potentially win that job. But, uh, you know, based on what I've read and what I saw, uh, Hobson, really seems like he wants, uh, or at least he thinks that Abraham has all the tools to be their guy. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, maybe from the outside looking in, we may have thought that that quarterback competition or that that quarterback spot was maybe up uh, in a competition per se, but it's not. I mean, he kind of shut the door on that. Jack Abraham is going to be their guy. He kind of raved about, you know, his completion percentage and and how efficient he is. And he also just kind of was very excited about, Having a guy who, you know, what was it? I think it was um, Andrew Luck that was said about him that, you know, you cut his head open and there's a football in there. Uh, he kind of said the same thing about Jack Abraham and that 
you know, he's a very intelligent guy and he eats, drinks and sleeps football because he wants that next level opportunity. <laughs> if you cut Andrew Luck's head open, it, uh, it might look like the uh, missing link, but that's another podcast. Um, with, uh, yeah, it's, it seems like Abraham's about as a uh, as solid, uh, as solid a pick to win that quarterback battle as, uh, as anybody. And, um, you know, he kind of briefly mentioned Tate Watley. Um, but I, I, and I think Tate Wally's a little bit better of a dual threat, but Abraham definitely seems like he's the better pure quarterback, which we've talked about before. But um, interesting that Hobson kind of confirmed what we've what we've talked about before. Um, I guess then we'll talk about the uh, defending champs, the UAB Blazers. Um, Eric, for you, what what kind of stood out here? Because I don't know that there was too much talk about like the future for UAB in Bill Clark's media availability was just a lot of reflection on all the stuff that they've accomplished in the last four or five years at this point. And, you know, of course it's, it's still a great story, but um, I don't know. What do you, what are you thinking based on uh, what the Blazers players and their coach said at, at CUSA media days, as far as their upcoming season is concerned? Well, Joe, I think the first part of what you said is correct is that there's not a lot of talk about the future. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily because they're stuck in the past. It's that Bill Clark's team really thinks that their time is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. He was very firm on saying, hey, you know, the the year before last when we began play again, they had us that like 110th out of like 100 and, you know, however many teams. And we managed to defy the odds. And the same thing again. I think that's just – and I can't help but agree with him that that has to be the mentality that they take is when the entire program gets shut down and, you know, and you fight back from that – what can you do but consistently you know think of yourself as the underdog and say hey yeah we're not talking about the future we're talking about now because they've managed to defy the odds so that was one thing that coach Clark was very steadfast on and the other thing was just his players talked about how much they really love coach Clark and that he's someone who you know uh, maybe they dealt with other coaches who uh, was only were only concerned about them as athletes as players but coach Clark they really believe that they have uh, a mentor and someone who's going to care about them, you know, when they're 40 and they've got kids and when they're 60 and have grandkids. So uh, just their love and admiration for Bill Clark was really inspiring to see. Certainly so. And uh, Bill Clark, the whole, it seems like his whole tenure at UAB has been one big inspirational story. So hopefully that, that continues and we get another good year out of that program uh, from a fan's perspective anyway. And uh, we'll talk about the UTEP Miners next then. Um, obviously, program been through a lot, won one game in two years, never where you want to be if you're a college coach. But uh, how does Dana Dimmel seem to be handling that? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where they know it's a rebuilding process, but the players who were, who were there, uh, you know, at Media Day and also around the program, they just seem eager to put last year behind them and just put on the pads I think the major takeaway, Joe, is they're eager to, to just find out for themselves what they are. Because the fact that the, the program has been in kind of this uh, rebuilding stage for the past couple of years, you know, each season, it's not like they're a, a UAB who's had success over the past couple of years or a Louisiana Tech or a Marshall who you know this is who we are. You know, we're a good football program. We're going to go out there, and if we do, if we follow the game plan that's been set for us, we'll win ball games. I, I, I feel like they're exploring and trying to find out for themselves, having to be all this fresh and learning to win again. You know, they're definitely there at that, at that point. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, in 2019. Yeah, it, it could be 
interesting to see how far they've they've come from those days. Um, obviously, I'm not really expecting a dramatic turnaround, but uh, you know, I think a lot of these guys seem to be really hungry to get back to um, that team that's at least competitive. So hopefully, based on well, I think based on what they were talking about, like you mentioned, they definitely have that desire and that drive to get there. But it, again, it's all a matter of execution. And uh, we're only a few weeks away from seeing what they've what they've got in the tank. And uh, last but not least, we'll talk about the UTSA Roadrunners. Um, I think a lot of people would agree Frank Wilson may, may or may not be on the hot seat as far as his uh, his job is concerned certainly been kind of underwhelming uh, for the last couple of years. No bowl eligibility in 2018 or 2017, finished up three and nine last year. Uh, you know, were you able to kind of glean anything from Coach Wilson and, you know, what his kind of perception of his situation is at UTSA? Well, in the effort of full disclosure, this was one of the programs I did miss. So uh, I wasn't able to to really catch up with Coach Wilson. But just from talking to some of the other writers who were there for both days, uh, some of us came in for one day. Some of us were able to make it for the full portion. Uh, some of us made it for the full portion. Some made it for a portion and a half and whatnot. But anyhow, um, I think the major theme that seems to come from you just saying Frank Wilson is just blocking out the noise. You know, they know it's there. Last season was a disappointment. Uh, they they know that there's talk of you know maybe Coach Wilson may or may not finish out the season as you mentioned, uh, but the major thing is blocking out the noise and once again finishing who excuse me finding out who they are and playing good football. I, I think per, from just a personal perspective, uh, we've talked about the quarterback situation. They have to get that right, and the theme there is that they seem to be very confident in Frank Harris uh, that you know should he be the guy that you know that situation that position will be taken care of and they can worry about the rest. And if they're able to do that. Uh, I think maybe UTSA can sneak up on some people. I mean, they they were competitive at points last year, but it's a matter of playing four quarters of football. And you know, once as once again, as as Coach Wilson kind of noted, just blocking out the noise. Yeah, it seems like this is a team that's really ready to get back to um, playing the way that they they know they can play. Here's the quote from uh, free safety Carl Austin the third. I'm excited to get back on the field after the turnout we had last year. That really wasn't UTSA football that we showed last year, and we're anxious to get back on the field to show San Antonio and the rest of the world that what UTSA football is all about. So, yeah, I think you're right in uh, stating that there's definitely optimism about the upcoming year and definitely a sense of, like, unfulfilled potential on that team. So I think that's going to make for some entertaining football down the road. Um, Eric, you're kind of closing thoughts on CUSA media day. What, uh, you know, what do you think was, uh, what do you think was the biggest highlight of your trip to Texas? Uh, as far as, as far as this is concerned, you mean besides Rudy's barbecue, which is sometimes mouthwarming to the point where you can't put it down. Yeah. Let's, let's go with your kind of biggest takeaway from a football perspective. We'll, we'll leave the, <laughs> we'll leave the delicious barbecue out of this. Okay. Besides, uh, I, you know what? I, I better stop. You know, for the, uh, uh, they're you know kind of plugging Rudy's there. Um, from a football perspective, what really struck me the most was the attention around both Lane Kiffin and Butch Davis. Uh, Coach Davis. It, it, this is the one thing that I tell people when you talk about that perception of what Lane Kiffin is versus the reality, and then you look at Coach Davis, they're actually flip flopped. 
Coach Davis is the guy who loves being around the media. And I don't mean that in a, in a superficial sense. I mean, here's the best way I can analogize it. Joe, you know how, like, when your dad pulls you aside and he wants to tell you a story and it's like, oh, man, I don't want to hear this. Versus, like, when your granddad, your grandfather pulls you aside and it's like, okay, you know, this is pretty cool. Like, grandpa, like, you know, fought in Vietnam or did something cool and, like, you're actually interested to hear about it. That's Coach Davis. Like, it's always story time with Coach in the sense that he uh, actually had the media around talking about how uh, he used to <laughs> get this joke. He used to drive the school bus for the uh, the JV basketball team uh, when he was uh, starting out as a coach, and that was one of the ways he made money was being the uh, the bus driver for the uh, the JV team and, you know, taking them up and down in that. You know, sometimes they had games in St. Louis, sometimes they had games in Kansas City, and that was Coach Davis's responsibility. So uh, he just loves kind of being that guy around the media, whereas with Lane Kiffin, as we talked about earlier, it's not, you know – is it an uncomfortable thing? Is it a, does he not necessarily like it? You know, we don't really know, but it's just so, such a polar opposite compared to coach Davis and that perception of what coach Kiffin and coach Davis are, are really flip-flops. So that was one of my biggest takeaways and just, you know, eager for football, man. I mean, you can tell the players are, are fired up, the coaches are fired up. So uh, we're, we're, we're not too far away from football season, guys. Not at all. Not at all. All right, before we wrap up, special thanks to uh, Steve Helwick for his coverage of uh, Conference USA Media Days. Go uh, go check out his stuff on the site as well. Um, and, of course, Eric Henry's coverage of CUSA East on the site. Uh, all good stuff from those two days in Texas. And special thanks, of course, to Rudy's Barbecue for apparently buying uh, space in Eric Henry's head until he goes back to Texas. Um, with that, we will go ahead and say thank you so much for listening. Once again, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, every platform that you listen to this show on. Leave a review. really helps us grow. Um, and as we get closer and closer to the season, we're going to wrap up team previews as best we can and um, really just get you ready for the start of football season because uh, I know we're ready for it for sure. Um, once again, if you haven't already follow underdog dynasty on Twitter, uh, like us on Facebook and uh, check out the site every day for more G five football goodness. And, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at J O E H I O underscore. And Eric is at Eric C Henry underscore. Uh, with that, uh, I think we're going to go enjoy the weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you all very soon and, um, happy football watching everybody. 